So, um, I don't know about you, but when I think about life and when it comes to life, my life, and just looking at other people's lives, it's really hard for me to believe uh, that life can be boring for anybody. I mean, it's just real difficult. When somebody says life is just boring, I'm like, I, I don't get that. I don't understand that. There's, there's always so much to do. There's so much to be done. There's places to go. There's people to see. There's always something. I mean, the last thing that life should be is boring. Uh, tiring, perhaps, exhausting, maybe. Uh, is burnout a possibility? Sure, but, but boring? I, I just don't understand really sometimes how my life or your life or anybody's life for that matter can be boring. And so as we kickstart a brand new year here in January 2024, uh, maybe a lot of us just need to take a page out of Larry Walters' playbook. Now, how many of you all know Larry Walters? Uh, you're thinking, Larry Walters, I think I went to high school with that guy. I don't know, Larry Walters. Sounds like, sounds like somebody from our area, but Lawrence Larry Walters, his friends called him Larry. Uh, but Larry was a guy who grew up, and as he was growing up, he always wanted to be a pilot. He always wanted to fly. Uh, there was something about being up there in the sky and seeing the horizon, and he, he just loved the idea of being a pilot. And he, he tried multiple times and, and walked down different avenues trying to become a pilot and, and to try to learn to fly and all that kind of stuff but it just didn't pan out and uh, for a number of reasons. And he ended up you know, having a really great career as a truck driver. And Larry, he, he's living in San Pedro, California at the time. And, and as he would do often, he was out in his back lawn, you know, just a small lawn, it's California. They don't believe in grass out there so much. And, and so, well, not that kind. And, and so, um, <laughs> anyway, so... <clears throat> So he was out there in his little bitty backyard one day and, and he, he was sitting in his lawn chair and, and he said, you know, I was thinking to myself, um, enough's enough, enough's enough, because this is what he loved to do. When he was at home, he'd go outside, he'd sit in that lawn chair, you know, California weather, and he, he, he was just out there. He was always out there. And then finally one day he just said, enough is enough. I need something new. I need something different. I need a new adventure. So what did good old Larry Walters do? He went to a local store and he bought 42 weather balloons. And he bought these 42 weather balloons and he filled them up with helium and he brought them back and he went to work in his backyard attaching these helium-filled weather balloons to his lawn chair. Now, he anchored the lawn chair before he attached the helium-filled balloons to them, but he thought to himself, I will fly before I die. And so he attached the balloons to, you know, his lawn chair. And, and then when the moment came, you know, it's anchored to the ground. He gets in, he's got everything ready. And he takes with him his trusted pellet gun because, you know, if you're gonna go fly in a lawn chair, you need a pellet gun. And more on that in just a minute. And also he takes some sandwiches and some beer. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, pellet gun, sandwiches, beer, and a CB radio. And he also took a camera just, you know, to preserve the memory uh, in case he actually survived. And so he released the anchors and Larry took off. Uh, matter of fact, this is a picture. It's not the greatest picture in the world, but, but this, this is kind of Larry, you know, that somebody, you know, kind of gave a glimpse of this is what it looked like when Larry was up there in the sky. Now to Larry's surprise, he soared north of 16,000 feet in the air on a lawn chair with a pellet gun with some sandwiches and beer. <laughs> so he's up there 16,000 feet in the air and um, he begins to get a little bit lightheaded because he's 16,000 feet in the air. And he, he finds it a little bit more difficult to breathe because he's 16,000 feet in the air. 
And yet, but in the midst of the difficulty to breathe, in the midst of the difficulty to think clearly, um, he was just so surprised that his lawn chair was flying so well. But he was not the only one who was surprised. There was a pilot of a Southwest Airlines flight that was coming straight towards Larry. And the guy gets on the radio and says, traffic control. I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm just gonna tell you, there is a guy flying in a lawn chair with a lot of balloons on top of it and I had to dodge to miss him. Somebody's gotta do something about this. And so they got Larry on the radio and um, Larry had a pellet gun. And they were like, you're gonna have to land this sucker. You can't be doing this. You're gonna get, you're gonna die. You're gonna kill somebody else. So he begins to snipe one balloon at a time. And he had to be careful because he didn't wanna get it off balance. And so he begins to pop balloons. And then, you know, in a turn of events that no one could have predicted or seen coming, he drops his pellet gun all the way to the earth. I suspect too many beers and not enough sandwiches. And so... But he did get enough where he was beginning to lower back down to earth. It was just gonna be a long descent, like 45 minutes to get back down to earth. So 45 minutes later, Larry you know, finally lands and there's a bunch of federal officials there. It's a real sticky wicket. I mean, it's just a real bad situation. They're wanting to arrest, some are wanting to find him. And you know, after they were able to clean, you know, clear up all the legalities and all this, you know, people just look at him and said, Larry, why? Why'd you do it, Larry? Why, why would you do this? And he looked at him and he said, I had to. I've been dreaming about this for 20 years and I couldn't just sit there any longer. I had to do something about my dream. I needed something different. I needed a new adventure. I needed a new beginning. And that's why we're talking about what we're gonna talk about all the month of January, this series that we're gonna call Learning to Count. And this series is one that I think fits just perfectly in January. Um, now, I don't know about you, but I love January, always have. Uh, if you know anything about January, you know, there's Roman origins with January and, and it's Roman origin basically means that it's a time of transition and it's a time of beginnings. That, that's where the word January comes from. It's a time of transition and it's a time of beginnings. And it's like, okay, we, we can understand that. In the Latin term of January, it actually means door or doorway because it's the same meaning. It's a doorway into a new year. It's a doorway into a new beginning. It's the doorway into a new opportunity. It's an opportunity to transition. It's an opportunity to pivot. It's an opportunity to change. It's an opportunity to go a new direction, a better direction. So January has always been about, from the very beginning, January's always been about moving forward in light of and sometimes in spite of what came before. So I don't know what 2023 was like for all of you. I don't know what 22 or 21 or 20 or 1918 or going back as long as you can go back. But January is the time where we push aside whatever came before, the good, the bad, the neutral, and we begin to move forward into a brand new year, a brand new beginning, a fresh start, new potential. So January is all about potential. It's all about the potential for different, but more than just different, it's the opportunity and the potential for better. And that's why I think that January, I, I don't know this, I don't have any you know, stats to back this up, but I think that January is probably the most optimistic of the 12 months because we're turning the page on everything that came before it. And sometimes that's, that feels good to do. 
We turn the page on what came before, and then we look at a brand new fresh slate of unwritten pages of things that we get to fill in, a life that's yet to be lived, a story that's yet to be written, and we get to move forward into that. That's why January, I hope for you and I hope for me, is always filled with a level of excitement. And not only excitement, but, but expectation. Because it's a building opportunity. It's, it's a building opportunity for you, for me, for all of us to reassess. To take a moment and just reevaluate, reassess. Where am I? How did I get here? What needs to change? What needs to be tweaked? What needs to be altered? It's a time to readjust based on your assessment of things. It may be time to pivot. It may be time to just change ever so slightly. It's, it's an opportunity to reframe how you think about your life, your past life, your present life, your future life. It's an opportunity to renew, to renew your faith, to renew your commitment, to renew you know, your faith in what it means to love God, love people, and see people follow Jesus. Uh, it's a time to relaunch. Uh, to do what you've done before that was good and that was healthy and that paid off and to relaunch into that. Or maybe for some of us, it's the opportunity just to reverse course because the course that you were on, it is not a good one. It is not a healthy one. It does not end up in a good place. And so this is an opportunity to reverse course. So this time every year, we all spend a little bit of time looking back on the good and we should. And we look back on the good with gratitude and we're grateful for it. We're thankful for it. We look back on the bad with hope because we believe as Jesus followers that every bad thing is gonna be turned to a good thing for our good and for God's glory. We look back on the challenges and boy, there were some challenges last year. We look back on the challenges with new strength that we would not have had otherwise apart from those challenges, those difficulties, those problems. We look back on failures with insight, lessons that we learned as a result of falling down but picking ourselves back up and keeping moving forward. So this is what we do. And as we look back, we begin to think about this moment and then we begin to dream about the future. We begin to have a vision, a strategy for better, for a better life, a better year, a better me, a better you. And I'm not talking about abstract resolutions. I'm not talking about, hey, I'm gonna go to the gym this year. I, I, I'm gonna begin to you know, work out a little bit more this year. I'm not gonna talk about like abstract resolutions. I'm gonna talk about concrete resolve, commitment. Commitment that results in action. Action that moves us in the direction of what Jesus offered. When he says, the thief, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it to the what? Not half full, not a quarter full, but all the way full, or the New Living Translation. And, and if you don't happen to read out of it, it may be my favorite translation these days. Uh, the New Living says, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I mean, isn't that what everybody wants in the future for 2024, a rich and satisfying full life? Uh, Eugene Peterson, he, he took Jesus's words and paraphrased them this way. I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Now, for Christians, Jesus's crucifixion and his resurrection, it secured our eternal life. But his example and his teachings point us in the direction of what a better life is and what a better life looks like. 
a life that's characterized by purpose and by meaning, by love, by joy, by peace, and all the things that are attached to the teachings of Jesus and the example of Jesus. So that said, let me get us going today by asking a question. Um, And this is an important question. What do the following things up here have in common? I got some motor oil. I, I got some, I got some Dayquil, I got some veggies, I got some fruit, I got a little bit of steak, I got a loofah, uh, I've got some eggs back here that you can't see, there's toothpaste, toothbrushes, fire extinguisher, I, I mean, what do all of these things that really, you know, on the surface, some of them are related, some of them are connected, but not all of them, uh, some of them are very, very different uh, from another thing. So you got loofahs, you got milk, you got motor oil, you got cooking oil, you got steak, you got eggs, you got veggies, you got medicine, you got fire extinguishers. I mean, what do all of those things have in common? Well, it's not that you eat them all because the motor oil, I don't suggest that. Uh, neither would I suggest that with the fire extinguisher uh, or, you know, the loofah. You could probably get it down, but it's not gonna feel good as it goes. Uh, so, you know, it's like, what do all these things have in common? And the thing that they all have in common is this. They all have an expiration date. Every single one of them, they have an expiration date. And some of you are like, they do? Check fire extinguisher when I get home. You know, all of them have an expiration date. And an expiration date, it it serves as a reminder that there's only a limited window of time and opportunity when these things can be used and leveraged and taken advantage of. You know, you you take a, you know, a good, good, you know, cut of meat or whatever. You know, we were using this for illustration, so we obviously asked them to shave it paper thin and it looks more like a liver than a, a piece of roast, but hey, whatever. And, and so, you know, we're on a budget here. And, and so we're gonna keep this cold. And at the end of the day, if anybody wants this, this can be yours. <laughs> this can be yours. A little salt and pepper and leave it in something for 20 hours. I'm, I'm sure it can come out pretty good. So, you know, you take a piece of steak or you take a piece of beef and it's like, okay, there's an expiration date. And the expiration date, it's kind of saying to you and it's saying to me, hey, there's only a limited amount of time to use this, to share this, to savor this, to enjoy this, because sooner or later, it's gonna be too late to enjoy this. Well, there's some, one of our props. It's too late. It's gonna get past its good. It's gonna get past being useful. You're not gonna be able to enjoy it because it's got an expiration date. Now, that's one thing, and, and we all get that because, you know, uh, some of us, we love the woo-hoo deals, you know, when we flirt with death with the expiration date on things to save a quarter, and it's like, well, I'll tell you what, I can save a whole quarter on this. I might die as a result, but it'll be worth it. Okay, woo-hoo. So we all understand expiration dates, but here's the thing. We all have an expiration date. You do, I do, we all do. And you say, well, what does that mean exactly? That means, think of it this way, that everyone who is alive today, one day won't be. Fa la 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 la. You say, well, that's morbid. No, it's not. Well, that's depressing. No, it's not. That's a downer. No, it's not. Well, what is it? It's reality. That's how it is. That's life. You can't avoid it. You can't ignore it. I guess you can't ignore it, but it doesn't change the reality of it. Now, sociologists and uh, psychologists, they've been talking about this for years, but here in the West, uh, we don't like talking about death very much. Uh, We dislike it so much, we rarely, if ever, have a meaningful conversation about death. I mean, just think about it in your own life. When's the last time you sat down 
maybe birthed out of curiosity, maybe birthed out of something that you're going through, but you had a meaningful conversation about death. It's, it's, it's something we don't like to talk about. It's the thing we would prefer to leave unspoken. And, and, and it's kind of silly when you think about it because some of us act that if we start talking about death, death will notice. Ah, yeah, coming after her, coming after him. And if we don't talk about death, it's like death will just kind of forget us. But the surest way to hasten death is just start talking about it. It's like, if you start talking about death, I mean, you'll probably be dead in 48 hours. I mean, that's kind of how we treat it. And we know that's not true. We know that's silly. But when it comes to meaningful conversations about death, most of our conversations are deathly silent. We like to keep death and any talk of death at arm's length. It's just the way we are. We like to bury our existential angst, our existential curiosity, our existential fears under a load of busyness or you know, electronic stimulation or some other form of distraction. We'll do everything we can do not to be confronted with it. We'll do everything we can do not to have to think about it. And in doing so, I'm afraid that we may be doing ourselves an injustice. Now, once upon a time, this wasn't the case because in a generation gone by, people really couldn't get away from death because most people died at home. So you see, you couldn't get away from it because people were dying at home. And then that kind of shifted a few uh, decades ago and more people started passing away in hospitals and hospice facilities. And, and that's good and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But now there's actually a shift back the other way. More people are choosing to want to take their last breaths and moments at home. And so now people are going to find it more difficult to get away from it because it's going to be closer and closer. Uh, some people say, well, you know what? I, I just, I don't, I don't want to deal with it. I, I don't go to funerals. I don't do funerals. I hear men do that all the time. I don't do funerals. I don't do them. I don't like them. I, I, anyway, uh, and it's like, what? I just want to remind you what Yogi Bear said. If you don't attend somebody's funeral, they'll definitely not attend yours. Fact check me on that one. Now, I get it. I understand. It's not like, hey, I was, I was just rearing to go today to talk about this one. Boy, I tell you, this is going to be great. If I'd texted that out yesterday, hey, this is what we're talking about. It would have been me and the staff. That, that would have been about it. But I understand why we don't like this. I understand what the comedian meant when he said, hey, I'm not afraid of dying. I just hope to God I'm not there when it happens. Right? I, I, don't, I don't care about this. I just don't want to be there. That's our instinct. It's called primal fear and terror management is what psychology calls it. And it's natural. But here's, here, here's what we think. There's no good in talking about death. There's no good thinking about death. But science says different. Science, science says thinking about death will make you healthier, happier, and nicer. That's what science says. Death causes us to make healthier choices. Maybe we change the way we eat. We change, you know, going to the doctor more. We change, you know, paying attention to things that we normally wouldn't pay attention to. And, and we end up healthier as a result. Uh, it makes us happier because the things that we thought were so terrible in light of death, guess what? This is not that big of a problem. When it comes to life versus death, this is not a big deal. I think I can overcome this. I think I can get past that. And, and you begin to take inventory of the good in your life and it makes you feel happier. And so thinking about death makes you happier and it makes us nicer. I mean, I wish I could tell you about this because it's fascinating. They've done multiple studies. People who live around cemeteries are nicer than people who live further away than, from cemeteries. I'm serious. It's crazy, I know. They've actually gone into cemeteries and created psychological experiments. And they have found that people are more benevolent and more apt to help you 
when they encounter you in a cemetery than when they encounter you in the mall or down the street. Because there's something about the aura of death, the thought of death, the idea of death, it just, it changes something about us. Now, what science says is what we know the scriptures teach us as well. And so what we're going to see today, that nothing has the potential to inspire us to live quite like death. Death is a motivator. It's not a downer. It can actually inspire us. It can wake us from an apathetic slumber. It can bring us clarity in a world that feels full of complexity. It can give us courage and boldness to live, to be who God called us to be, to live according to our purpose. That the reality of death can actually expand our capacity to live. Uh, one, One psychologist said that life recovers its vividness and urgency against the backdrop of death. Because death is not the opposite of life, but a conscious parallel. One could not exist without the other. You got life and death. And life, we have more capacity to live life when we realize that death, it is also a reality. Um, There's this ancient uh, Latin, and again, this is kind of the launch for the whole series. So, you know, there's this Latin phrase, ancient Latin phrase, that is memento mori. And memento mori has been around for generations, generations, generations. And it's it's translated this, in remembering death, don't forget to live. In remembering death, don't forget to live. Because remembering death helps you get better at living life. And, And here's something I've noticed now at 45, remembering death gets easier as you get older. Because in your 20s and 30s, you can go through your entire 20s and 30s without having any significant interactions with death in an up close and personal way. But, but I found, and me and Allison were talking about this the other day, when, when we got to our 40s, it's like death just keeps itching closer and closer and closer because, you know, your grandparents die and then your parents die and your aunt and your uncle, they die. And then there's cousins and there's friends and there's coworkers. And it's like, it just all keeps getting closer and closer and closer. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? It, it, yeah, sure you do. Uh, and, and it's like, it just gets closer and closer. So it, it's, it's very difficult to forget it. But sometimes we do forget it. And sometimes we ignore it. Now, Moses understood this. Moses, who led the nation of Israel. Um, he grew up in Egypt. If, if you don't know about Moses, he grew up in Egypt. You know, kind of the, the, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And down in Egypt, he, he learned to think and he learned to act. He learned to talk. And even in Egypt, he learned to walk like an Egyptian and, and, and talk like an Egyptian Think like an Egyptian. I love that. And, um, and every, so, you know, Moses, he spent his first 40 years in Egypt. Then he killed a guy. Now, just FYI, if you think you can't come back from something, you can come back from anything. Moses killed a guy. He runs away as a fugitive from the law, spends 40 years on the backside of the desert being a shepherd for his father-in-law. And then he goes back and spends the last 40 years of his life leading the nation of Israel. Uh, and he led them out of Egypt. He took them to the River Jordan. They opted because of faithlessness and fear to forfeit a better way of life, a bigger life, a rich and satisfying life, a full life. And they ended up forfeiting all of that to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So Moses, as the pastor of a generation of people that God said, this generation of faithless, fearful people who forfeited life, who forfeited a rich and satisfying life, they're all gonna have to die off. So he spent 40 years pastoring a group of people that had settled for small living. He pastored a group of people by and large for 40 years that had just given up a commitment to live a rich and satisfying life. And so he buried a whole generation of people out there. 
And so Psalm 90 is part of his wisdom that he gleaned over that time and, and he put it in a song form or a, a poem and it got included in the book of Psalms. It's actually the oldest Psalm among the Psalms and it's been preserved now as, an, as a piece of literature and wisdom for close to 4,000 years. And just to set up Psalm 90, uh, this, this is what one scholar, this is how he described it. He says, Psalm 90 might be cited as the most sublime of human compositions, the deepest in feeling, the loftiest in theological conception, the most magnificent in its imagery, true in its report of human life. It's like, wow, that sounds pretty good. This is what Moses wrote. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, you were brought forth. You brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting because you are God. So Moses had spent a lot of time, he's thinking about life, he's thinking about death, he's thinking about his life and his death, he's thinking about other people's lives and death. And so Moses frames his life and, and the nation of Israel's life and even our life in a larger context. Um, and, and he says, I see that my life is, is not something that's just about me, but my life is part of a larger context. And because my life is part of a larger context and your life is part of a larger context, that means that the point of your life and the point of my life is not me and the point of your life is not you. He says, because we're all part of something bigger. Moses, he said, I choose to see myself as a link in a chain, just a small link in a larger chain. And this chain is the story of humanity. This chain is the story of God and what God is doing for the world. It's the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and how one generation led to the next generation. And Moses says, I'm just one small link in that chain in this chain that we could call the story of God, this larger context, this larger reality, this larger meaning, this larger purpose for life. And Moses said, you would do well to begin to think of yourself that way. Your life is just a link in a chain. Now, a link in the chain is important, it's significant, but it's the chain that matters most. And he says, you're just a link, I'm just a link in the chain. And so he says, I'm thinking about time, I'm thinking about life, I'm thinking about death, and, and he starts with God. He says, God who's before us, and God who's gonna be there after us, and God who's above us, and God who's the creator of all things, even the creator of time itself. And because God is the creator of time itself, God exists outside of time, and therefore God is the reference point for every person within every generation along the links of those chain. And so he says, so God, he, he's our reference point. He, he's where we go to to realize that we're not accidental. Our lives have meaning, our lives have purpose because when you start talking about life and you start talking about death, all that existential angst starts rising up and we begin to contemplate things like meaning and purpose. And he says, listen, God is our reference point. And when we look at him, the creator of all that is, including you and me, we realize that our lives have meaning and our lives have purpose. And that our life is bigger than just the dash between our day of birth and our date of death. My life is more important than just that dash. Your life is more important than just that dash because your life and my life and our life is just a link in this larger chain. And the value of all of that connection, the value of that continuation, the importance of that cohesion. He says that's part of our meaning and part of our purpose. And this is part of our perspective for how we should think about our lives because there is a greater reality that's bigger than your life and mine. There is a greater plan than just the plan for my life or just the plan for your life. He says, God, you turn people, 
Back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. Now, Moses is not depressed. He's, 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 not, he's not down. He's just talking about life. One person said, life's hard. Then you die. Then they throw dirt in your face. Then the worms eat you. At least be grateful it happens in that order. Right? He's not being, it's, it's not that. It's not like, oh, this is sad. No, he just wants to remind us, no matter how, how great you are, how smart you are, how rich you are, how hardworking you are, how healthy you are, Moses said, we all go back to dust. We came from dust. We returned to dust. So he's thinking about some things, and that's okay. We don't like to do that, but it's okay. It's actually good for us. He says, a thousand years is in your sight, like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. He said, God, for you outside of time, like a thousand years, I mean, a thousand years. I can't hardly even think a thousand years. I can tell you what was happening maybe a thousand years ago in history, but man, it's just even hard to comprehend. He says a thousand years to God is like, like a day and really shorter than a day, like, like a three or four hour period. And he says, if, and this is his point, if a thousand years is like a three or four hour period to God, what is my life from that perspective? It's just a a blink of an eye. That, that's my life and your life in light of eternity, in light of infinity, in light of an eternal God and his eternal plan and his eternal purposes. I'm just a, and he keeps on going. He says, don't think about that too much. Let me keep you going. He says, yet you sweep away people in the sleep of death. They're like new grass in the morning. In the morning, it springs up new, but by the evening, it's dry and withered. Now, don't, don't mishear him. The point is not life is so short, nothing matters. No, it's actually the opposite. Life is so short and because of it, everything matters. That's the point that he's making. Not that life is so short. What does anything matter? What does anything matter? He's saying life is so short. That dash is, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow. It means everything that happens in the link of your chain, everything that happens in that dash, it means everything. It's so important, it's so crucial. Life is short, it's like grass, here today, gone tomorrow. It's like a vapor, I see it, now I don't. It's like a flower, it's bloomed, and now it's withered away. It's like a shadow, until the sun moves and the shadow's gone. He says, that's life. And it's not that life doesn't matter because it's short. It's that everything in your life matters because it's so short. He says, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass. How, how many of y'all know this? They quickly pass. They quickly pass. The rest of you start the new year with less lying, would you? Quickly pass, and then we fly away. Because my life is so short, everything about my life has significance. Because your life is so short, everything about your life has significance. Everything's fleeting. Doesn't mean that life's not important. <laughs> it means that everything in life is important. How I choose to live, how I choose not to live, how I take care of my physical body, how I spend my time, how I steward my friendships, how I love my family, how I seize opportunities to make a difference. It all matters. The difference that I decide to use my career to make, the people that I meet, 
and the influence that I tried to exude or express. It all matters. Moses says in light of how fragile life is, how short life is, everything about your life therefore matters. And we should lean into that because there are no unimportant days. There are no unimportant moments. There are no unimportant seasons. It's also radically important because life is so fragile and so short. And he says, so I know what you want. You want your life to matter. You want your life to count. You want to make a difference. You want it to have mattered that you lived. And if you're going to make a difference with your life, then you're going to have to live. If it's going to matter that you lived at all, then you're going to have to live. And the only way you can truly begin to live is to realize that everything in your life matters. Everything in your life is important. Everything in your life is significant. And in light that one day death is coming, you can't escape it, you can't avoid it. In light of death, live. Live a rich and satisfying, full, overflowing, abundant life that Jesus offered to all who would follow him. And so he gets to this verse that, that we've heard before and I just, I come back to this all the time in, in my own life and I don't think you can come back to it often enough. He, he says, so God, in light of this, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let's all just read that together at all of our campuses. Ready, let's go. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. One more time. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This is a prayer that'll change your life. This is, this is more than a prayer, it's a mindset. This is a framework, this is an attitude, this is a posture. This is a brand new way of thinking about death, where death no longer terrifies you, paralyzes you, causes you to shrink down, causes you to retreat from life. This is about a paradigm. This is about a perspective. This is about a framework that understands that death is coming. I came from dust. I'm going to dust. My life is a vapor. It's a shadow. It's here for a moment. Then it's gone. It's a brand new framework that says I'm not, I'm not inhibited by that. I'm freed by that. I'm released by that. I'm no longer anchored into a small, insignificant forfeiture of the life that I can live. I'm going to embrace life. Teach me the number of my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. He, he sees the thought of death not as something that robs us of life, but something that infuses us with life. Teach us the number of our days, God. Now, we like to number our years. We call it our birthday. All right, we number our years. Nothing wrong with that. It's good. Number our years. But that's not what Moses says. Moses says, teach us to number our days. Celebrate that birthday once a year. You should. And I got thoughts on how we could celebrate it better. I'll share it with you in a couple of weeks. Celebrate that birthday. But don't forget to count your days. Because when you count your days, you realize that every day matters. Every day matters. And it's one day in that link of your chain. It's that one day in that dash of your life. It's that one day and it matters. It matters. It matters everything because today 
You have life. You have breath. And Moses says, you better count your days so that you can learn how to live. Counting our days anchors us to that day, to the moments of that day, to the opportunities of that day. And it offers us a perspective to live that day that otherwise we could not have possibly had otherwise. Otherwise, we'll just get up and go to work, and we should. Otherwise, we'll just get up and mindlessly go about the day and do the thing, clock in, clock out, come home, feed our face, watch the tube. Nothing wrong with getting up, going to work, coming home, eating. There's nothing wrong with that. But maybe we would approach it just a little bit different if we had numbered that day and thought, wow, this is a day to live and I don't wanna miss it. You know why he said count your days? Because today's all we can count. Today's the only day you can count. You can't count tomorrow. You can't count tomorrow. You don't, you don't even know if tomorrow's coming. Today's the great equalizer. Hey, every single one of us, we got today in common. Every single one of us, 24 hours, 1,440 minutes, 86,400 seconds. That's what we get. If we get today, this is our day. What are we gonna do with it? That's what Moses is trying to say. He says, I've watched a whole generation of people live a small little life and they didn't have to. I watched a whole generation of people forfeit a difference they could have made and they didn't have to. So what are we gonna do with it? It's the mindset that says today could be my last day. It could be my last day. And you know what's true about that? It's true. Today could be my last day. I have no, I'm not asking for an early departure. But if today could be my last day, why wouldn't we want it to count? If today really could be our last day, and it really could. It really, really could. Again, this is not about fear. It's not about fret. This is about, this is about a freedom of like, I know that that's true. And because that's true, it inspires me to want to live. So you know what? I don't want to exist today. I want to live. I don't want to forfeit my, my day to bitterness. Do you? Some of you, you've given away years of your life to bitterness. You're just bitter. Somebody somewhere along the way made you a bitter, resentful person and you have forfeited so many days that those days became months and those months became years. Do you really wanna keep doing that? Do do you really wanna do that all over again? Count your days and do you really wanna be bitter another day? Do you wanna let anxiety or worry steal life again and again? unforgiveness, you're gonna pack that around. How much longer, seriously, how much longer are you gonna pack that sucker around? Yeah, they screwed up, they messed up, they disappointed you. You know what, they're human and you've done the same to other people. So take a big pill called get over it and swallow hard. You're gonna do that some more? Why would we do that? You're gonna let pettiness, superficiality, frustration, anger, Consumption of just being fixated with unimportant things to rob you of an opportunity to live? Moses says you should live every day actively aware of life's brevity and frailty and realize how little you can control. 
Not to be imprisoned by it, but to be freed by it. Not, not, not to become a coward, but to be empowered by it. Because the more we think about the brevity of life, the, at least in Moses' opinion, the greater the quality of life we begin to have. We gain wisdom. We begin to see what the best ends are and the best means to get there. We live life well. We work hard. We play hard. We love well. We make a difference. We only have so many days, so we should count them and make them count. Matter of fact, the best way to start living may be to start thinking a little bit more about death. Yours, mine, the people we love. Let me tell you, if you remind yourself, this son, this daughter, they may not be here tomorrow. How could you not love them better today? How, how would that not be the end result of that? If you look at the people you love that's in your life and you think they may not be here tomorrow, how does that not result in loving them better today? The people that you're grateful for, that you would love to tell, I'm so grateful for you. You're a hero to me. I wouldn't be where I am without you. I stand on your shoulders. If I know death is real, why wouldn't I just go ahead and step into that and do it today? It would free us from the silly little things that hold us back. I'm just not good at telling people how I feel. Well, one day you'll wish you had. And you're not sure you'll get an opportunity then. I've told you this before, but... I can't think of a better way to put it. If you want your days to count, count your days. If you want your days to count, count your days. And I'm going to wrap it up because you haven't been listening fast enough. But I thought I'd end, begin 24 the same way I did in 23 overtime. And uh, I've lived 16,000 and some odd days. Um, and life expectancy in America has been kind of all over the place and, you know, it's kind of dipped in the last couple of years, but we won't talk about that. And when it comes to this, I want to round up. So let's just say, you know, I've told you this. Most of us live somewhere around 28,000 days. So I did math because that's kind of what I would do. I did my math and I was like, okay, I've lived 16,713 days. That leaves me with 11,287 days. 11,200. I, I don't know if those are my days. This is why Moses says, don't count down, count up. Because you don't know if you're going to get the 11,287 days. So count up. And count today. And ask yourself, what if today was my last day? What if today was my last day? I'm going to share you a quote by John Maxwell in just a moment. I'm going to let them get that together in the back for just a moment. But what if today was your last day? Could be, might be. It's not an evangelist trick. I'm not, I'm not trying to scare anybody or trick anybody. It could be. What if today was your last day? Do you know what the New Testament says? He that knows to do what's good and doesn't do it, that's a sin. It's in the context of James 4. I don't have time to read it and not go into, but James says, don't boast about tomorrow. Just live today. 
And as you live today, if you know the good thing to do and you don't do it, he said, that's what you call sin. So what good thing do you need to do today? Forgive somebody, let something go. Reverse course, reassess, tell some people that you love them, you appreciate them. Change some things about your health, change some things about the way you're managing your money. What, what good thing do you know that you need to do? And Moses and the half-brother Jesus said, well, do it today. Do it today. Today's the day. If you need to hold your kids a little tighter, do it today. If you need to make a phone call and say, I don't want my life to end and us not be on the right page about this. I love you. So, forgive me. I don't want to carry this around any longer. I don't, I don't, I don't want to face the night of death. What good thing do you need to do? I need to do. Just for today, I will choose and display the right attitudes. Just for today, I will determine and act on important priorities. Just for today, I will know and follow healthy guidelines. Just for today, I will communicate with and care for my family. Just for today, I will practice and develop good thinking. Just for today, I will make. Just for today, I will make and keep proper commitments. Just for today, I will earn and properly manage finances. Just for today, I will deepen and live out my faith. Just for today, I will initiate and invest in solid relationships. Just for today, I will plan and model generosity. Just for today, I will embrace and practice good values. Just for today, I will seek and experience improvements. Just for today, I will act on these decisions and practice these disciplines. And then one day, I will see the compounding results of a day lived well. And you know what we call a bunch of days lived well? A life lived well. Yesterday's past. Tomorrow isn't promised. Today's all we have. What are you going to do with it? Life is short. Death is sure. So let's make it count. Today. You don't have to forfeit a rich and satisfying life any longer. You don't have to satisfy a full life. If every day is a gift... Are you enjoying it? If every day is an adventure, have you let it become boring? If every day is an opportunity, are you seizing it? If every day is a special occasion, are you celebrating it? I just want to ask us to bow our heads and close our eyes at all of our churches. I want us just to pause for a moment and to look back, to think back. Last year, the last few years and think about what you're grateful for. Think about the challenges that and the failures that taught you lessons that you would have never learned otherwise. Strength that you would have never had otherwise. And you look back over God's goodness and you look back over God's faithfulness. And then you turn and you begin to look forward at what a rich and satisfying full life looks like, that Jesus taught, Jesus promised, Jesus exemplified. And you begin to develop a vision for that. You, you begin to develop a strategy for that, a commitment for that. 
And you begin to count today as the day that you're gonna start taking steps in that direction to be bold and to live because you counted your days and today's the only day you got and you're gonna make the most of it. You're gonna make the best of it. No longer will you live a small life because you don't have to. Father, speak to us. Remind us that you're good in all the days of our life. You're with us, behind us, before us, above us. You are our reference point. Let us count our days so that our days will count. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Let's stand together and sing.